Hi and welcome to Stefan Levera Podcast, a show about Bitcoin. Today, for episode 329, we're breaking down Bitcoin bonds for Bitcoin City in El Salvador. Now, these bonds are structured in a different way. There is a coupon of 6.5%, but there is also a Bitcoin dividend, and these bonds are intended to be tied with Bitcoin City as they relate to the build-out for the infrastructure of Bitcoin City and Bitcoin mining related to that. So Samson is joining me to talk about that and break down who would invest in this, why not hodl Bitcoin, who's the target market, operationally how is this going to work, what are some of the benefits, what are some of the opportunities and risks, as well as the reactions by Bitcoiners to the announcement, and we get into some discussion about what Bitcoin City could become. This show is brought to you by swan.com, the easy way to accumulate Bitcoin while also learning about Bitcoin with various free resources like Inventing Bitcoin, a book by the CTO of Swan, Jan Pritzker. You can get that at swanbitcoin.com slash free book. Now with Swan, you can start off with a lump sum purchase and then set up your Bitcoin savings plan, an automated sat stacking plan. Now, if you are a high net worth individual or an entity or company looking to stack and you need some additional assistance, a dedicated Bitcoin expert, check out Swan Private. Swan Private gives you a Bitcoin expert who is available for calls to walk you through that setup and purchase process as well as guide you on other aspects of Bitcoin. Go to swan.com to sign up. Are you looking for fiat liquidity without selling your Bitcoin? Lent at HODL HODL is a peer-to-peer Bitcoin-backed lending platform where you can do just this. You can use your Bitcoin as collateral and it's global and anonymous. There's no KYC required and you can borrow stable coins. So this allows you to help avoid a capital gains event where, where you are borrowing stable coins against your Bitcoin. It doesn't count as a sale. Now, on the other hand, if you are holding stable coins like USDT on the liquid blockchain, as an example, you can earn some extra interest and you define the terms and the APR for those deals. So you set the time frame and the interest rate that you are willing to do that for. So if you're interested, go and sign up. It's lend.hodlhodl.com. That's L-E-N-D dot H-O-D-L-H-O-D-L.com. Are you looking to get started with Bitcoin mining? Compass Mining can help you here. You don't need to have advanced technical knowledge. You can get started simply and easily by selecting an ASIC miner from the website. Now, some of them are new miners that are coming online later, and some of these are actually secondhand miners from the Compass Marketplace. And some of these might not be a new machine, but they are able to come online sooner. So you can check out the timelines there, have that sent to a facility or turned on in a facility. You pay the hosting and you select which mining pool you want to contribute your hash power towards and you will receive sats so this is a great way to get started if you can't access easy ways of getting access to the machines or getting good power rates so compassmining.io and they've got all sorts of content and material that help teach about bitcoin mining also now onto the show with samson samson welcome back to the show man thanks for fun how are you doing Doing well. I'm uh, back down in uh, Sri Lanka now for a little while and then uh, probably next year be out traveling again. But uh, it was great to catch up with you back in uh, El Salvador uh, while uh, while the big announcement and everything was going down for LeBitcoin, for adopting Bitcoin and of course Feel the Bit, uh, which was basically President Bekele's party announcing uh, the Bitcoin bond and Bitcoin City. So uh, I, maybe I'd love to hear a little bit from you how, how all of that got started. Sure, it was definitely exciting <laughs> and very fun. Um, I, I guess the start was the uh, the Bitcoin as legal tender law, the Bitcoin law that Jack Mallers kicked off um, around that time, or actually before the law was announced. Um, we had actually been uh, introduced and were talking with government there, um, and they wanted to get some indication of support from companies in the space. So what we actually did was write a letter of um, support, saying, you know, if you're doing this, we will fully support you from the standpoint of our technology, um, anything we can do, expertise, and you know, software development resources too. So we kind of were advising them on a number of topics like uh, Bitcoin, cold storage, security, and whatnot. And then um, during that discussion period, we were pitching them the idea of Bitcoin bonds, um, bonds that are issued on the liquid network as a security token. And raising capital to build out their infrastructure in El Salvador. And of course, that was very interesting for them. And I think I spoke to Bloomberg at that time, and you know, they made a big deal of it. But it was still at very early stages at that point. 
Um, they got busy with the Bitcoin law rollout. They got busy with the Chivo launch and subsequent you know, hiccups. And then somewhere like a month and a half ago, we resumed these discussions on the bonds. And we managed to get pretty far with it. Um, we had a few proposals and we ended up choosing one proposal to flesh out, which is the, the proposal that everyone sees in the current state. And then when I was down there in El Salvador, we <laughs> decided to announce it at the Field of Bit event. So that's it in a nutshell. Yeah, right. And so I think there's so many different pieces that go into this, right? Because you can look at what is their current rate of funding on the fiat bond side, uh, because that, that that's actually quite a bit higher. I, I think last I saw it was like 13% is how much they would be paying just at a, at a fiat bond rate. And so this is actually a different rate. This is, I believe it's 6.5%. So that's probably one thing just off the off the draw that the, that is different about this one um, and I suppose some of the criticism I've seen is like this idea of oh see it's not really a Bitcoin bond you're actually just doing fiat still it's still US dollar um, but I guess the counter as I understand it would it be essentially that there's a Bitcoin lockup and that there's a Bitcoin dividend component or how, how do you see that? Well actually before we get into that I wanted to ask you what was your your take on the event because you were there. Yeah, sure. Um, and you talked to a lot of Bitcoiners at the conference, like probably immediately afterwards. But I didn't get that chance to, you know, talk to a lot of people after and before the announcement. I couldn't talk about it, and I was swamped. So I would like to hear your your on the ground take of what it was like to hear everything and you know the reactions. Yeah, sure. So I think it's obviously the people who are at the event. Their take is going to be a much more bullish. Because you're there, you're feeling it, you're seeing it. It feels a lot more real. And it was super exciting for the people at the time. Now, I think there are different, obviously different people in the community who are commenting on it or talking about it. And so, I mean, for me, I'm cautiously optimistic. I I think I would like to see this idea work. I would like to see this whole idea of Bitcoin City and funded with Bitcoin Bond and and, and the element of giving residency for the investors. I think it could be quite an interesting pitch and play. Uh, I see it as El Salvador took away the test and vaccine mandate to get into the country as well. So I thought that was an interesting thing that might appeal to Bitcoin people, right? And so I thought that was an interesting aspect of it. And now probably the, the downsides or the criticisms, if you will, from other Bitcoin people who were at the time, I think... Some of them might have been thinking, oh, what if, what if this is just like a way to get money from all the, the, the gringos or take money from the Bitcoin people? And what if the project doesn't pan out in the successful way? So I think that's probably the, in a nutshell, kind of the, the good and the bad of what people were saying. Personally, I'm, I'm a little bit more on the cautiously optimistic side. I, you know, I, want, I would like to see it happen and I'd like to see it work. Uh, so I think... One way that you might think about it is that, look, politicians have their own, they have their own incentive, of course, but of course, they, you can also look at what is the incentive for the country. And if the country has an incentive to basically provide a better deal for Bitcoin holders and people who are willing to participate in this investment or participate in Bitcoin City and try to make Bitcoin City a success, because the, the, the success of the two is sort of intertwined because part of the way the bond is going to get paid back from my understanding is that there will be a VAT in Bitcoin City and so obviously the more people who move to Bitcoin City and spend and obviously that's revenue for to pay back the Bitcoin bond so there's a little bit of a the the success of these two is intertwined in that way so uh, that's uh, you could say the incentive is that they want to make this work because in a world where you know there's not that many other uh, places that are offering this kind of deal and this kind of accessibility. That's how I would summarize it. Uh, but what, what do you think? Would you say that most people are cautiously optimistic or are most people a little bit pessimistic about it? So I would say in some communities, some people are sort of like, oh, yeah, no, it's, you know, like, I don't trust, I don't trust him because... You know, look look at the history of politics in South America and Central America, where you know some person comes out and says something, and then it changes, and you know, and and 
in their mind, they could also be thinking, well, if President Bekele's term is, I don't know exactly, but if it, let's say it's another two years, what happens with the next? Does that mean we need a multiple president to be aligned with the vision and the plan? Because what happens if, let's say, some new guy comes in in the next term and he doesn't like Bitcoin City and Bitcoin bonds and he tries to sort of step away from the program, doesn't put in as many resources? You, you could understand that that concern yeah. also. But I, I, I think certainly you see others who are very pos- positive, like fully positive, right? The likes of Max <laughs> Kaiser and Stacey, yes. right? So they're, they're fully like, yep, we're, we're doing it. We're moving to Elzante next year and they're going to buy it. They're going to do it. So... I think you you see the full gamut in the yeah. Bitcoin community there. Yeah, so but I, I suppose you've seen that as well, right? <laughs> yeah, I understand like the hesitance to, you know, trust in politicians. I've seen some blowback from some vocal people in the Bitcoin community saying, you know, you guys are working with governments. But I think it's a little bit different in this case where you kind of need to factor in the the people of the country too, uh, and a government should represent the interests of its people. And I think in this case, it is actually true because they're trying to you know, lift the nation out of poverty. They're trying to create a better future for everybody. And to do that, they're adopting Bitcoin on a number of levels, right? If you were not looking out for the best interests of the nation and, and the people, you definitely would not do that. If you wanted to like clamp down and, and you know rule with an iron fist, you wouldn't give people fuck you money, right? (laughs) You're giving them money that you cannot seize and you're trying to teach them something new and show them a path to the future. So I I would give a benefit of the doubt here and say, you know, President Bukele is trying to forge a path forward and it's a difficult path to forge. And a lot of that has to do with every everything that's happened in the past and the difficult situation they're in right now. So they're, they're, they're saddled with a lot of debt. And the debt that they're saddled with really is keeping them uh, effectively like a, 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 a subservient state of you know, Western nations, right? That debt that you, you're, you're saying that they're, they're paying like 13% on, I think uh, the coupon on that is 9% or something. But because it's trading at a discount, it's effectively like 13 to 15%, right? So how do you get out of that hole? You need the IMF to refinance you, to, to give you more financing to service the debt. And that's just a downward spiral, right? You're borrowing more money to service old debts. That's not really a way to get out of the situation. The only way to get out of the situation is to, to break the simulation, right? To, to, to ignore the imaginary paper money that they're lending you to service you know, other imaginary money that you've borrowed in the past and to go with sound, hard money. So, you know, I think it, it's a difficult situation. Either you can say, you know, we're, gr- we're going to work with a government, uh, or you can say, you know, just let the old system exist. And regardless of your opinions, I think to leave it as status quo is worse than helping a government. And yes, you know, maybe he will not be in charge in a few years. Maybe the new person will be... Um, anti-Bitcoin, who knows? But that is somewhere in the future. And I think we have to deal with the cards that we have on the table today and you know, try to steer things in the right direction. So if the, comp- if the country becomes prosperous through Bitcoin adoption, through the Bitcoin bond program, I think it would be difficult for a successor to nullify all that and just throw it off the table and say, okay, no more Bitcoin city, no more uh, zero cap gains and no more property taxes. Like, uh, you know, take reverse all those things. That would be very difficult if it's successful, right? If things are working and you want to turn it off, I think that's far harder than if it's not working and you want to turn it off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then the question I think is, as Samson, I'm sure you know this, you've been in the game a long time as I have. Sometimes Bitcoin moves in like a two steps forward, one step back. And so there are times where we really want this to be a big two steps forward. But what if in order to go forward, we've got to go back? Or let's say, you know, a lot of Salvadorans, maybe they let's like, let's say there's a big, you know, pump and a dump. And then a lot of Salvadorans basically get wrecked in that because they start to hold some Bitcoin. And, you know, because everyone has to sort of it's almost like a rite of passage in Bitcoin. You have to kind of go through a big uh, drop. And so 
what does that reflect like for the six million or seven million Salvadorans, right? So I'm I'm obviously hoping it works, and I I am yeah. That's why I said I'm 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 sort of cautiously optimistic about it, and I I, I honestly I would consider um, investment myself. I would honestly consider it for the the residents aspect of it because I'm, I'm sort of looking at these things myself in terms of you know the kind of idea of stacking flags and things like that and yeah. maybe there are listeners who are out there thinking similar things uh, because I think there's an, out, there's an element to that but I guess the, the point I'm getting to is Bitcoin adoption might not be instant right it might be it takes time for education and people have to get wrecked sometimes before they learn. Yeah, so let's go into this from the the thing you mentioned before, which is people are yeah. criticizing the bond, saying it's not a Bitcoin bond because it's like uh, fiat denominated, right? So there's a reason why it is denominated in fiat. So, you know, people say inflation is a good thing. And I think in some cases, inflation is a good thing. Inflation's good for, for Bitcoiners, right? So if you're denominating the bond in fiat and Bitcoin is going up and, and the US dollar is devaluing, it makes it easier to pay back the bond, right? Uh, so that's a definitely a good thing. But the the reason why it is dollar denominated is to prevent that that um, that possibility that the people of El Salvador will get wrecked, right? You don't want that to happen. So you're, they're going to take 500 million to buy Bitcoin. So this is the superstructure of the bond. Half of the bond proceeds will go towards buying Bitcoin, or if people invested Bitcoin, they'll hodl that and you know top it up to get. E- equivalent to 500 million. The other 500 million will go into energy production infrastructure like geothermal mines and also Bitcoin mining. So even if the Bitcoin part is stable, like let's, let's I think the worst case scenario is in 10 years, Bitcoin is flat. It's still at, you know, 50K or something right now, right? I don't know what the price 58K is. 58K gang. Yeah. <laughs> it, let's say it's flat. They'll still have energy infrastructure out of this, right? They will be able to produce electricity and sell electricity to their neighbors and, and export electricity. Um, they'll be mining some Bitcoin on the other side of the bond, right? The other 500 million. So they'll accumulate some Bitcoin, which if Bitcoin is flat, will still have value, right? Um, the other portion, the one that was used to buy Bitcoin, you know, if they still have it in 10 years and Bitcoin is still flat, they still have half a billion dollars, right? So it kind of adds some credibility and reliability to the bond and the faith that you have in them to repay the, the bond, right? At least they, they have something there. And I think the reason why I call it a Bitcoin bond is just because it is backed with Bitcoin. It's not denominated in Bitcoin. Like you could probably do a bond denominated in Bitcoin, but you know, it would work a lot differently and there would be some risks to that, right? But given that it is a 10-year bond, it will encapsulate two halvings. I find it highly unlikely that with two halvings in this 10-year bond, <laughs> Bitcoin is not going to make a move, you know, at all. Of course. Yeah, so of course. I just find it a very low probability that the people will get wrecked. There, there might be some point in the next 10-year cycle that Bitcoin does crash, but maybe it's from 500,000 to 200,000, yeah? And we'll, we'll, we'll cry, cry our tears of sorrow that we're crashing to 200K. <laughs> That's right. And it's, it's really funny because people who are new, they, they really, like, that really does happen, right? Like, they'll, they'll say, oh, look, it's crashed, even though it's just, like, come up, you know, massively if you really zoom out, of course. Um, so I guess getting back to the structure then, I think it is important to point out how this is actually a lot more appealing for people who are currently in negative yielding bonds right now because there's no like if you're just a fiat bond investor right now you're you're just you're just losing money basically but you're just maybe losing less money than someone else is not getting any return and you know part of the idea is that you you think i guess you might be thinking oh i can get assets on the cheap when my my us bonds uh usd bonds mature um, whereas with the Bitcoin bond, it's more of a you're taking a fundamentally bullish view on Bitcoin as part of I guess as part of the the world view when you're investing in the Bitcoin bond. Um, but maybe I'd love to hear from you. Who do you see the target market being, and why would they choose the Bitcoin bond rather than obviously simply hodling Bitcoin? Yeah. So if you're if you're new to Bitcoin, I would suggest you know hodl Bitcoin. But there are a lot of Bitcoin whales that do diversify their Bitcoin holdings um, just to just to, to e- ease off on the volatility somewhat. Um, I'll give you one example. 
So we have the Blockstream mining node at Blockstream, right? It is buying hash rate. Um, you know, why would people sell their Bitcoin or use their Bitcoin to buy the Blockstream mining node, right? And that is just to diversify and also to stabilize, right? So they're going to be earning back their Bitcoin with some additional, I guess, Bitcoin interest on that because they're going to mine more Bitcoin. It's likely they will mine more Bitcoin by the end of the three-year BMN term than if they just like, you know, well, obviously, if they just hold held their Bitcoin, right? And I think uh, when we launched BMN, it was at 200,000 euros per BMN. And now there's like, you know, one point something Bitcoin within each BMN because it's mining Bitcoin. So you're getting Bitcoin returns on top of your Bitcoin. But for something like the Volcano Bonds, they if you have like, I don't know, tens of thousands of coins, it doesn't hurt you to diversify somewhat and lock in a, a fiat dollar price. Um, just for uh, locking in the value, right? And, you know, there could be a bear market in two years, who knows, but you'll at least have locked in the fiat dollar value and you still have some Bitcoin upside uh, with half of the, the Bitcoin proceeds being sold after the first five year period. So after the first five years, El Salvador will start, will recoup their initial $500 million investment and then they will start um, sharing that, that, uh, that Bitcoin with the bondholders. So half of, it, half of it they will keep, half of it will be paid out as the special dividend or the Bitcoin dividend. So you'll still get back um, uh, the Bitcoin upside, just 25% of it. But as you receive the coupons, the 6.5% coupons every year, you can also buy back Bitcoin too. And you can also buy back you know, at the end of the, the 10 year cycle when you get back your, your original investment. So I think there is a market for that, but the bigger market is really people that want Bitcoin exposure. I think there's like $85 billion of money on the market right now that just are institutions and they want Bitcoin exposure. They're buying, they're buying uh, ETFs, right? They're buying ETFs in Canada and they're buying ETFs in the US. Um, you know, ProShares had a blowout launch, right? And, and they sold out. Um, and people are still buying MicroStrategy debt so that Michael Saylor can buy Bitcoin, right? So these people would just buy this Bitcoin bond. It's a, it's the same thing, but from a nation state effectively. So you still get that Bitcoin exposure and it should fit into their mandates or charters that prevent them from buying real Bitcoin. So if you look at it, you know, most of the Bitcoiners on Twitter, they have an advantage. They're retail investors. They can actually buy Bitcoin, but a lot of these entities and institutions, they cannot buy Bitcoin. and this is their access to Bitcoin. It's their way to get exposure to Bitcoin. Yeah, I think that's a really important point because obviously those of us in the Bitcoin Twitter and Bitcoin community, we tend to be like retail or hodlers ourselves. So we think of it like, oh, I just hold Bitcoin. But there are a lot of people out there who aren't at that level yet and maybe they are potentially... It, the vehicle that they are in doesn't allow them to directly purchase Bitcoin. And so this is a way to get exposure for them. And we can see that in the number of people who are buying the likes of GBTC or buying MicroStrategy or the listed Bitcoin mining stocks. Of course, those of us who are hodlers who, who can access directly holding sats, we want to directly hold sats. Um, but I think that, that it's true that there's probably a lot of people who might have, let's say, some kind of mandate or they, they can only purchase bonds so that might be a bit more difficult for them. So I think it's, it's actually a good thing in that it, it opens up the access for people. And this might be the first of more to come, right? I think so. But it just can appeal to a number of market segments. So as we we're talking about before, you know, if you wanted to get permanent residence in El Salvador, how would you do that? I guess you can invest in a company there. You could you know, buy an apartment or a house. But that is more involved. So one of the things that we wanted to do was to tie the bond purchase to that permanent residence. So you just show, you know, I, I bought the bond, here's the transaction. And then you're in that program, right? We want to link the two things together so it's super easy. Because otherwise, it, it's great that there's a program. But if the program is complex, then uh, it, it adds a barrier to entry. But also buying the bond, it's like a, you can think of it as a 25% discount off of PR, right? Otherwise, if you had Bitcoin, you would sell your Bitcoin to qualify. And maybe you have a house now. Maybe the house value will go up, but who knows? But at least this way, you didn't 
actually sell all of your Bitcoin, you you have 25% upside still on the Bitcoin part. And, you know, it is a liquid asset. So um, I guess that they probably tie the holding of the bond for a certain duration to qualify. Maybe it's five years. I don't know. But, um, you know, after that period, you could sell it and everything would be good. Um, and it'd be easier to sell that than, say, a house. But the, right, there's yeah. also like um, people that will invest based on ideology. I think that's a, a big one that people uh, don't don't put enough weight into because a lot of people so far have reached out and said, you know, we'll, we'll take some of the bond just for El Salvador, just to help El Salvador. Or, you know, well, uh, I think Stephen Cole said, uh, I'll do it just to say F you to the IMF, right? <laughs> There's a lot of people <laughs> that will just invest for the sake of investing, right? If Bitcoin is F you money, now's the time to say F you. Yeah, right. And look, it could also give an option for those kinds of people like let's say they're they're sitting on some uh, a stack of coins and they're thinking hey i want residence i want to go and live there and work there yeah exactly (laughs) (laughs) and uh so as i recall from the event i think on the bottom of that slide i think it said investments greater than a hundred thousand dollars uh of the bond will qualify so i think you would start off with residence and then you qualify for citizenship by investment after five years so that could also be something interesting for people. And you might be thinking, if you're thinking, if you're bullish on this idea of setting up a Bitcoin city and a financial hub in El Salvador, at, in Bitcoin city, you might be thinking of it like, hey, I want to skate where the puck is going, right? Like we think this is where the zero tax, mm-hmm. you know, financial hub is going to be. And maybe if there's going to be a lot of other Bitcoin companies and Bitcoin jobs and capital all concentrating into this area, you want to be in, in the thick of it. So that's possibly the the bullish case for that aspect of it right yeah uh, i think it's like three bitcoins because at the time that was 100k then somehow the 100k number stuck i'm not sure yet i need to check but yeah, i'm not sure if it's three or three bitcoins or 100k or 150k but you know, i think these things need to be clarified but alistair Milne had some good feedback on, on the citizenship or sorry residence permit to get citizenship which was, you know, if you invest uh, this much in the bond, your whole family can get the, the residence and fast track the citizenship. And if you invest, uh, I forgot his number, it's like 500K in the bond, then you get to get preferential um, fast track access to buying land in Bitcoin City, right? And I think there are ways to incentivize the pot. But, you know, going back to the original point, there's a lot of different people that can potentially look at this bond and say, this is for me. But, you know, if you think it's not for you, then don't invest in it because obviously it's not for you. You know best. Sure. And so in terms of the timing then, so are we looking at early or mid next year and then it's a 10-year period from then? So essentially the person who's thinking about it, right, because we're doing the breakdown, this person might be thinking, okay, I'm going to put this money in, let's say 100K, right, just to sort of hit the minimum bar for residency. Uh, let's say they put in 100K and then they're thinking in 10 years time, so during every year, they're going to get some coupon and they're going to, and then after five years, they're going to be receiving uh, some Bitcoin dividend. And then at the end of the 10 years, they get the 100K back, mm-hmm. but you also keep the residence and potentially you have citizenship of El Salvador potentially at that point. Yeah. Is that... A fair summary? Yep, I think that's the right summary. So the Bitcoin coupon, the Bitcoin dividend in the final five years, that's on top of the 6.5% base coupon. So we did some projections and one of the scenarios was the 30% year over year growth. And that would put Bitcoin at like a million dollars. And in that case, the the yield in the 10th year, uh, just the 10th year, the earlier years will be less, is 90%. And then there's another scenario where it could be 140 percent. So, you know, in the last stages of the bond, I think it could be a very attractive thing for people to hold. And and I guess that's another market too. Um, it could just be traders that want to sit in sit like normally they would sit in a stable coin. Now they could sit in a bond because it is a token. It is a crypto token, and it could also potentially be used as collateral for trading too. So, you know, hodl the bond use it to uh, 1x margin long Bitcoin again. Right? There's, there's a number of ways to play this game or just borrow dollars against your Bitcoin to buy the bond, right? So, yeah, yeah. because maybe you might be thinking, look, I don't want to give up sats. And if I have 
income that allows me to get a loan against some Bitcoin, maybe that's an idea as well. People might use the whole collateralized loan for that 100K, get some fiat to buy the bond with fiat. And so that might be another angle. And so then instead of uh, paying sats for the bond, they're paying USD for the bond. Obviously, they're still paying interest, but or not. that might work out for them. If yeah. your interest rates are less than 6.5, then it's free, right? <laughs> true, true. So uh, yeah, you've got to think about that also. And so I think then in terms of operationally, is it going to be essentially trading like a like you would go you would go become a customer like do you have to go become a customer of Bitfinex to get the bond or how like how would you actually buy it? Right. So Bitfinex is going to be the um, initial exchange that that is uh, releasing the bond. So they will be getting the first license, and that would allow them to issue this security. Um, so I think anyone that wants the first bond would go through Bitfinex to, to buy it. But once you have it, so let's take one step back. These bonds are issued as a token on the Liquid Network, and they do have a, um, a permission part, and that's done with Blockstream AMP, our asset management platform. So it's effectively a two of two multi-sig. So you would go to Bitfinex, um, do your KYC, you would be added to the AMP whitelist. And then if you and I are both on the AMP whitelist, then we can you know, withdraw it to any wallet that supports liquid and AMP assets. And we can OTC trade it back and forth with one another, just like the blockchain mining note. So there's a Telegram channel and people are already trading the BMN you know, OTC every day. Uh, but there is no marketplace. There's no secondary exchange marketplace, but they're freely able to trade that. And that would be the same case for any, any bond holder, right? So you'd be able to trade it and buy and sell it with any other bond holder. Back to the show in a moment. Have you thought about upgrading your Bitcoin security to multi-signature with Unchained Capital? Unchained Capital can help you do this. You can bring two hardware wallets and set up on their website, unchained.com. You can sign up and create the vault on your own. Now, this is a good way to improve your setup by removing single points of failure. This allows you to make one mistake and still not lose your entire stack. Now, if you need assistance, there's a concierge onboarding program where they will actually teach you how to do this. They'll send you hardware wallets and they'll do a video call with you to teach you, even if you've never held your private keys before, set up your vault and deposit $1,000 of Bitcoin in that vault. Now, you can use the code Levera to get a discount on your setup. And don't forget, Unchained Capital also offer loans as a way to unlock some fiat liquidity without selling your Bitcoin. That website is unchained.com. Brains are a Bitcoin company through and through, and they're working on some unique and cutting edge projects in the mining industry. They have Brains OS Plus, which is firmware for your ASIC mining machine. They also operate Slushpool, the first Bitcoin mining pool, and they are pushing adoption of Stratum V2, the next generation pooled mining protocol. Now, one really cool thing with Brains is they've got this insights dashboard. So it's insights.brains.com. On that dashboard, it will show you mining profitability calculations, hash rate breakdown, all sorts of really interesting stats, really great way to learn a bit more about the Bitcoin network and how it is secured. So go and check out their website, Brains, B-R-A-I-I-N-S.com. And finally, if you're in the market for Bitcoin hardware security, coinkite.com is where you can get ColdCard. ColdCard is my favorite Bitcoin hardware wallet. It looks like a little calculator. Now, if you're a beginner, you can directly plug that into your computer and use it easily with wallets like Spectre or Sparrow or Electrum. And if you're intermediate or advanced, you can use the micro SD card to do that option of moving that information back and forward. Now, the CoinKite team also sell all sorts of other products, whether that's the Block Clock, or open dimes, which are like a way of having physical Bitcoin. And they also sell the seed plate metal backup product for your coins. So go and check them out. It's coinkite.com. Use the code Levera for a discount. Back to the show. Yeah, right. And so as an example, you might go to Bitfinex, sign up, buy this bond, and then you could hold it on your <laughs> Blockstream Jade, right? Like yeah. you could withdraw it, the token of this bond to your Blockstream Jade and have it on that or on that. Uh, and so the, uh, actually I'm curious then as well, like how would it work if, you know, as an example, let's say you, you lost the seed words for your Blockstream Jade or your, your, like how would that aspect of it work? Like, is there a central registrar of it? Is that what AMP is providing here? Yes, effectively. So AMP would allow the service to blacklist those tokens because they're lost now. 
And because it is like this is not decentralized, right? We should not pretend like these bonds are decentralized. They're not. They are a security, and you know that's why you have to KYC, and you have to be added to a whitelist to to be able to trade them and 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 withdraw from exchange, of course. So what would happen was the service would blacklist those old tokens and then issue new ones for you. So the the net circulating supply would not change because some of the tokens are now out of circulation, but there is a way to get it back and. We've had that with EXO um, for Infinite Fleet. Someone lost their keys, actually. So they're going to actually get new tokens from, from Stoker. So you know, there, there is recourse if you lose your key. It is not Bitcoin. It's a, it's a bond tokenized with Bitcoin in it. I see, yeah. And then in terms of people who are trading it around afterwards, like so let's say they purchase uh, the bond, They've, they're holding it, they're self-custodying it, and they're trading it around, as you said, in the Telegram chat rooms or whatever. Uh, that part is just kind of peer-to-peer, in, but within, I guess, within a, a closed loop of KYC individuals. Yes. Is it? Yes. So, uh, so, so from those individuals to individuals, they can, say, literally send the token to someone else's wallet, and AMP would recognize, yeah. oh, it's gone from this person A to person B, we're going to update our, our registry to, to match what the current holdings are. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it, it's uh, using Bitcoin multi-sig. Similar to Blockstream Green, if you set up a multi-sig shield wallet, the, the green service will sign off if you send them your two-factor authentication, right? So basically, you tell Blockstream, you can sign now, here's my two-factor, and then Blockstream will sign. So it's the same thing in this case. If you're both on the list, then it'll sign and say, yes, you can send it to this guy. Right. So as an example, you might, I don't know, as an example, you might have bought, I don't know, maybe you've bought like 500,000 worth of it. And then maybe in a few years time, you're sort of like, okay, I want to lower my investment a bit. I'm going to sell 200,000 of it. And they sell, you know, I sell 200,000 of it to you because you want to increase your investment in it or whatever, yeah. right? That's, that's exactly. an example, the kind of thing that could happen there. So I guess the... And the structure of this overall thing is that the money is going into Bitcoin mining that will fund uh, part of this this whole venture, and of course the VAT in the Bitcoin City, right, will help fund this venture. So there's a little bit of a tie in there, and so I guess people would be thinking, okay, how long is it going to be for things to sort of get started being built out, and you know, wh- what what do you see? I, I don't know if you if you know uh, what what's the timeline looking like for people who might be looking to actually go live in Bitcoin City? Do you know, would that be in like two years time, three years time? Well, it's a, no idea. the city is a big project, so I don't expect it's going to be all built out. I would expect it would be in stages. So the first bond is called the Volcano Bond because that money is earmarked to start building energy and mining infrastructure. Um, I think some of it could be um, at some facilities near San Salvador, but then uh, they could tap and... Uh, open up some uh, geothermal plants near the uh, the Conchogov volcano. I'm probably butchering the name, but the volcano that is near the city um, and, and start mining there. But uh, I think there will be more bonds. So this is just bond one. That's why they're named EBB1. So they can increment uh, you know, to infinity <laughs> if you wanted to. But the subsequent bonds would be earmarked for the city, I think. So you would know that this bond is going to build the city. But all the bonds will be allocated to a specific project or purpose, so people will know. But you know, things happen very quickly in El Salvador. I, I think it's very different there, and they're very motivated to uh, build and do it quickly. So I, I would say it's possible the city, they break ground on the new city next year. It's like, uh, it's a big goal for their nation, right, to build this thing. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And I think that was part of... Um president bekele's uh presentation as well i think he was trying to say oh look we did this this pet thing uh the pet hospital thing chivo pets right and so i think he was trying to say look we we did this announcement and we built it really quickly and etc so i think he was trying to say okay this is an example that we can get it done quickly so i guess that's that's the bullish case so then potentially you know you might people who are the real frontier people are starting in bitcoin city next year maybe the infrastructure is not fully there yet maybe you don't have like the fully running water and high speed internet yet but people are going to start getting set up there and trying to build that up i i think i'm yeah i, I think i'm just really curious to see how that goes i wonder uh do you have any speculations or what you think will happen with bitcoin city do you see it becoming like a hub for bitcoiners 
definitely has that potential, right? So they have the benefit of geographical proximity to you know, the U.S. and Canada, as well as all of uh, South America, right? They're right, right, stab, smack, right smack dab in the middle of everything. And that is really good. Like Bitcoin City will have an international airport as part of the design, right? So I could see it being a major economic hub, just like Singapore or Hong Kong, right? It could be this mecca for the new age of finance, like you know, digital securities, uh, cryptocurrencies and everything like that, where people are setting up their HQs there. And you have massive development companies move in to build software out of El Salvador too. But I think that's the foundation of a major hub. You know, you have that population and you have uh, access to a specific region. Um, I, I think I think there's nothing like that in in the Americas, right? So it would be the first one to take a stab at doing that. Yeah, and it could even be that the way that some people now they might use the the likes of other well-known low tax or zero tax tax havens now, the likes of you know whether it's Dubai or whether it's you know Cayman Islands or somewhere where they base themselves there. Uh, Bitcoin City potentially could be like that for Bitcoin people. They might say, hey, look, I'm going to set up my base here and that's going to be my base. I'm not necessarily living there all the year, but it's my base and I'll travel around and go to different places, but come back and drop by and uh, chat with other Bitcoin people. Um, so I guess we're all going to have to learn Spanish, aren't we? <laughs> yeah, that's what I noticed. <laughs> I, I need to learn Spanish too. <laughs> yeah. So I'm curious as well, like what's been your impression um, on the ground in El Salvador, spending lightning? What's, what was your impression of that? Uh, I'm not sure I'm, I'm the best person to ask. I didn't get that much time to explore. I was just zipping around from location to location. So I still haven't had pupusas yet. I need to go back again and, and try that. But from what I saw, like it's it's a lot different than people make it out to be in the media. Um, you know, if you read about El Salvador and you, you read reports on the news, like it sounds dangerous, but it's really not. Like I felt very safe in San Salvador. Um, at the beach areas, you know, I didn't get to go to El Zante, but I went to uh, Mizata, the one next to it. And it, it's very safe. And the people there are very warm and welcoming, too. So I, I think media often portrays things in a certain way. And you just have to go there and see for yourself before you, you can actually understand what the reality is. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I'm curious as well, how you think about the personal security aspects there for Bitcoiners. Like, let's say, they are well-known Bitcoiners, uh, or maybe they are known to have a lot of coin. Uh, do you see that as like a security risk for them going to El Salvador? Because I can imagine there might be some listeners out there who have that question. Mm -hmm. Well, I think it's a uh, it's a risk anywhere you go. Like when okay, let's let's break it down a bit. So when you're talking about the the general environment there and what it's like, I think for normal people, it's quite safe, right? But if you are a well-known Bitcoiner with Bitcoins, obviously you have a target on your back no matter where you go. So I would still say take some prudent measures, right? Like it's really up to uh, you to decide what your risk tolerance is. Like I think having security for any Bitcoiner in, in any big city would probably be warranted. Um, but, you know, I, I, it's really <laughs> down to the individual level of what your comfort is. Like, you know, going to New York, I think maybe it might be worth having security too, right? And I, I definitely felt that El Salvador was safer than New York. Right, yeah. And it's probably fair to say that uh, there are definitely times where you might think uh, a poorer country is not as safe. But then if you think back to some big cities in well-known <laughs> countries, they're not super safe either, right? Like places like Chicago can have a lot of, you know, shootings and things like that as well. So it's, um, yeah. it's, I guess it's, it's there's kind of this illusion of safety in some of the big um, Western world, big cities. Uh, so that's an interesting aspect as well. Um, so I'm curious as well. So in terms of like downside risks, let's say we're thinking we're assessing this bond for investment and we're trying to think about what are the downside risks. Could one be that, you know, the, the Bitcoin city idea goes belly up or, or uh, there's not as much revenue coming in on that. Maybe do you see that as like that would be potentially one of the downsides or maybe another idea might be um, the electricity, the energy, the electricity rate garnered by using geothermal. Maybe it's not a very competitive rate for Bitcoin mining. What's your do you have any thought on that or any insight on that? 
Yeah, so uh, for the city, I guess there's always a risk that the like any mega development, there is some risk to it, right? And and does it get to take off and get off the ground? You know, I, I'd be crazy to say there's zero risk, right? There's obviously some risk, and it really depends on the execution of the government. But from what I saw, you know, they're they're all very much pulling in the same direction, and they're very motivated to make something happen. My feeling is they see this as a once in a lifetime opportunity to kind of fix their nation, right? And this doesn't come along all the time. So the vibe I got from working with all the different departments there is really, you know, everyone is pulling for the, is gunning for the prize, right? They're working evenings and weekends and you just wouldn't see that in, in say Canada, right? Like politicians are going to take the evening off and the weekends off, right? Yeah. But you know, they're hustling there. They're trying to make it happen. And I don't blame them. Like this is a really once in a lifetime shot to, to fix you know, the country. Yeah. And actually, I'll add something there as well. I think it was interesting when I went as well. I saw definitely that the treatment was that was given for Bitcoin people was like a very privileged access in that way that they would sort of fast track people through the line in terms of landing at the airport. And they, I think, were genuinely trying to make it a good experience for the people who are attending, at least for that week of adopting Bitcoin and love Bitcoin for that week. So that's certainly an interesting indicator, if, if it means anything. And also, I think during that week, it was that week that they dropped this whole requirement around um, test before entry into El Salvador, which obviously appeals to a lot of the freedom-loving Bitcoiners out there. Yeah, I don't think El Salvador is really a tourist destination, but they, they could be. Right, the weather down there is beautiful. Um, it's sunny days, almost every day I was there, and you know, the climate is really nice. The beaches are great. It could be a major tourist destination, I think, especially with the added freedom of you know, Bitcoin as legal tender. So I think to to make sure that happens, you have to make sure the country is safe. So there is a lot of um, the incentives are all in the right direction to to make this uh, a paradise, really, on every level. Yeah. And then on the question of executing as a mining venture, right? Because doing geothermal and executing in a cost-effective way. And obviously, you have a lot of exposure to the mining world as well, coming from that world, arguably. So do you have any thoughts on the feasibility, the practicality of doing uh, Bitcoin mining in El Salvador? Yeah, I think it is very practical. The, the point at which you would argue if it was practical or not is more if um, you're trying to operate the geothermal mining as a hosting business, right? So at Blockstream, we're one of the biggest in North America. We do a lot of hosting and we need to get our rates down because we're charging people for hosting. So there is the base electrical cost, energy cost, plus, you know, our hosting cost and our CapEx cost that we have to cover. So, you know, if, if the electrical cost was 10 cents plus, which I think it can be for geothermal, it would make it difficult for us to run this business. But it's a different ball game when you're a sovereign nation mining, right? Like it doesn't cost them anything other than the money they need to invest into the infrastructure, right? Once that's done, there, like from a, from the standpoint of a nation state, there is no P and L. It's your own energy and it's your own mine, your own mining farm, your own equipment, your own ASICs, right? So, if you want to mine Bitcoin. You just mine Bitcoin, right? There is no, you don't have to really worry about what it costs you if you're in it for the long run and you believe Bitcoin is going to become more valuable, then you just treat it as a, a sunk cost. Like, yeah, we mine Bitcoin. And yes, the, the cost to produce one Bitcoin is this much money. And you know, that's fine because you have, you, you're a sovereign nation and you, you have that uh, energy at your disposal. And the Bitcoin is also yours. So you're just converting your own power into Bitcoin at your own rate of which you you value it at interesting and so i guess i mean it's i mean they still face opportunity costs like with their capital and i i, I mean they would still have to but i i understand I, I understand the point you're making though but i I'm, I'm just sort of thinking it out right because they still face opportunity costs right like if they go and spend 20 cents per coin or 20 or maybe i'm making a bad analogy if they, if they spend more than the current price of bitcoin right now to earn a bitcoin that's less than that then it's kind of like an unprofitable investment. But as you said, rightly, to your point, is if you're fundamentally long-term bullish on Bitcoin, which is what's implied by doing a Bitcoin city and a Bitcoin law and a Bitcoin bond, even if you mind it unprofitably now, 
in five years' time, ten years' time, that coin has already risen so much dramatically that you are solidly in the green, in the profit on that. So, well, th- the thing is, most nation-states do a lot of things that are unprofitable, right? <laughs> at, at least this so. one makes sense. So, like, yeah, like, you could, you could, okay, let's just put ourselves in, in their shoes for a minute. They could say, okay, geothermal power is like 10 to 12 cents. Okay, that's expensive. Let's go and mine in the U.S. for two cents. But, you know, there is a cost to that, too, which is the U.S. could seize your equipment or you know, someone else could seize it. It's not your own. So when you're a sovereign nation, you want to have your own you know, assets. Like the farm, mining farms are assets. The ASICs are assets. You want to keep them within your own borders, right, close to your own people. So you could, there's, there's so many different ways to look at it, right? Like that, that is sending it somewhere else to get cheaper power. Yeah, you get a little upside on the cost of producing a Bitcoin, but you lose on risk, right? You're basically, it's like keeping your Bitcoin with a foreign custodian, right? At that yeah. point. It's uh, the difference between what's, let's say, financially optimal versus what might be sovereignty optimal, let's say, something like that. Yes. And so you... So yeah, I think I think it's a good point, and it 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 takes a certain level of vision and foresight, and perhaps it's also a certain level of having less to lose. So let's say if you were already an established nation, the USA, Canada, etc., you might be less inclined to to go this hard on Bitcoin because you might be thinking, well, I've already got a pretty good, I'm already on a pretty good wicket, or I'm already on a pretty good uh, circumstance. I don't need to go and take this big career risk of like betting all in on Bitcoin having a Bitcoin city and a Bitcoin bond and everything. So maybe that's one way to think about it. And also, actually, this is something you mentioned in the Feel the Bit event around what happens when other nations play copycat. So I'd, uh, I'm interested to hear your thoughts on that as well. Yeah, so El Salvador is already taking the lead on Bitcoin as legal tender, right? And we haven't really seen anyone else copy yet. And I think the, the root cause is most people are followers and nation states are the same, right? Most politicians don't want to take a lot of risk. They take enough risk to get reelected. They don't necessarily take the difficult decisions that may be short-term unpopular, but long-term are the right decision. So that's why I have a high level of respect for President Bukele, because he's taken a very difficult step. Like He's going against uh, major established organizations. You, know, you could say he's going against the U.S. too. The U.S. is definitely not happy with a lot of the things that are, are developing right now, right? The IMF is not happy. And to, to take that stance, it takes some guts to do, right? So yeah, I think the other nation states are going to wait and see how this plays out. And it will be the same with the bond too, right? I think once the first few bonds are filled and they've raised several billions of dollars, through this new structure, through Bitcoin bonds, other nations will jump on board. It's, it's just inevitable. It's the same, uh, same thing with Michael Saylor, right? And, and putting Bitcoin on balance sheet. You know, people thought he was crazy at first, but once they started seeing it was working, then he's able to raise debt like, <laughs> like nothing, right? And other, con- uh, other companies are also buying Bitcoin and sticking it on their balance sheet. So let's kick off that same game theory and competition to acquire Bitcoin at the national level. But it's going to take some some success first before they're going to take that chance. Yeah. And you know, one other thing I find interesting about all of this is that it's pulling in a lot of people to have an incentive to make Bitcoin go well, right? Like all these companies now have an incentive for Bitcoin to go well. We're starting to have El Salvador with a strong incentive to make sure this goes well. So they are going to be listening for feedback and trying to fix things that go wrong, whether that is, okay, something is with Chivo, well, it's not working. Well, okay, let's let's fix that. Let's make it work because we need this to work. And so I think it's an interesting element interesting dynamic to see whether and it happens whether you're an individual you're a company whether you're a country or you're a business or a fund you just have more of an interest in that and that might lead you to now think about okay uh sponsoring bitcoin development or review or uh some other bitcoin project or let's say translation of bitcoin material and education for into local languages and things like that i think it's an interesting element where you're sort of bringing people into this fold because now they want to make it work yeah i think the biggest benefit is probably kicking off competition for not just people for companies too right the the regulatory environment is not 
I would say overall, it's not friendly towards Bitcoin. There's like some places that are friendly, some that are neutral, but I would say on average, it's not that great. But if this succeeds, that should kick off a snowball effect where everyone is competing and trying to have the best possible regulatory environment to draw in talent, right? Um, you know, you can tax unrealized capital gains, you can, you know, monitor every single transaction, but that's not how wealth and prosperity is generated. Wealth and prosperity are generated by smart people and, and you know, great companies building great things. That's the only way forward. And if those companies and people start going to El Salvador, right, then everyone else is forced to compete. And I think that's a good thing uh, because the regulatory framework is just archaic in most places. And in some places it's downright, you know, antagonistic towards Bitcoin, like even within the US, like Kraken vacated New York because of the bit license, right? You, you're going to see more and more of that playing out. And El Salvador is kind of a counterbalancing force to that. They're going to, you know, roll out the new digital securities and securities laws there that will attract people to go and operate out of El Salvador. And you pair that with the legal tender, you pair that with Bitcoin cities, favorable conditions. And I think you have the perfect mix and the perfect catalyst to revitalize the entire region. Yeah. And it's an interesting point around securities laws, because obviously in the broader, obviously I think of it as Bitcoin, not crypto, right? But in the you know crypto world, there's been very much this sort of trying to get around securities laws. Now, of course, I'm a libertarian. I believe in market regulation and not government regulation, but it, it always is difficult for people. And uh, even in the Bitcoin world, dealing with things like having to KYC, know your customer, AML laws, etc. Um, how do you think about that idea and where we're all going with this? Uh, like what kind of uh, regulations do you see happening in the future in, in let's say, Bitcoin friendly countries uh, that might help sort of uh, give, give people a, a, a better way to, to deal with these things as opposed to having this like massive regulatory overhang. Yeah, so I think the like a lot of the, the, the cryptocurrency projects out there are just useless, right? But it, it, a security is a security and we do have security laws around the world. Um, they're all at various stages of you know making sense and not making sense, but you know generally they're a cumbersome thing to overcome, and I I would say that's probably a large well, one factor of why people do did ICOs because they didn't want to deal with that regulatory burden. But you can do a security token offering without you know cutting off your arms and legs, right? Like we did the BMN and EXO through Luxembourg, and their securities laws are pretty pretty good and pretty modern and they're lightweight um i think if you do have something of a modern framework in el salvador that should make it easier for real companies to raise capital through securities um and they don't, they don't need to do some shady ico right that like they i'm with you that i believe in free market instead of regulation but there i think there needs to be steps to get there but one of those steps is making it easier for real companies to raise capital. And you know, we'll, we'll deal with the next step uh, down the road. But uh, just getting there and setting this precedent and having something that people can look at and replicate in other jurisdictions is going to be a, a starting point, I believe. Yeah. And actually, with the Bitcoin bond, do you, is there an accredited investor requirement for that? I don't think so, because it is just a, a bond, right? Like to buy a bond, you don't need to be accredited. Um, but typically access to bonds is, is challenging because the, the sizing, the minimum sizing of bonds is pretty high. Like uh, maybe it's like $1,000 for more retail focused bonds, but then it goes up to hundreds and millions of dollars for you know these kind of bigger bonds. And most people can't buy that. Um, the El Salvador, the Volcano bonds are going to be down to a minimum size of $100. So I think that will make it far more accessible so that the uh, uh, Salvadoran diaspora around the world, if they want to help out, they don't need to you know, ship things back to their home country or remit. They could just buy the bond and help from afar. And it's much lower friction. Yeah, yeah. So at the end of the day, it's another vehicle for people to look into that they might currently be sitting in negative yielding bonds and think, okay, hey, this is this is a way better deal than what, what they're currently getting. So let's look into that. And although maybe their systems won't be fully set up in this way because they'll have to 
now learn okay what's what's this liquid thing what's this amp thing what you know what what are these aspects it's a new whole thing for them to learn but at the same time their current vehicles are, might be more well geared up to invest in the bitcoin bond than into hold into hodling directly or maybe they want to play a bit of both maybe they're hodling some and they want to do a bit of the bitcoin bond as well so maybe that's um one aspect of it so uh, i I guess that's probably a good spot to wrap up. Do you have any closing thoughts there for the listeners and around the Bitcoin bond and where you, where you see it going and why they should think about it? Hmm. Uh, I, I don't know your audience, <laughs> but if there's institutional investors there, uh, I think they should start looking into it seriously and figuring out how they can tap into the bond. Um, one, one question that was asked quite often is, you know, why would they buy it? And I think the answers are quite obvious that it is a better instrument than any other bond on the market. And, you know, can they buy it? I don't know. And that's really up to them to figure out. But creating it as a bond, it, it should allow it to fit into their charter and mandates that they can buy it. And it's really up to them to work things out internally and with legal to figure out how they buy it. Fantastic. All right, Samson, so uh, just for anyone who doesn't know where to find you, where's the best place? I'm on Twitter. My handle is Excelion, E-X-C-E-L-L-I-O-N, and then you can look up Blockstream at, at Blockstream. Fantastic. Thanks for joining me, Samson. I enjoyed chatting. Thanks, Stefan. Great chatting. If you are enjoying the show, just a quick reminder, if you would like to help me, make sure you leave a good review on the podcast platforms like Apple iTunes and so on. That helps new people find me. The show notes and transcript will be made available at stefanlevera.com. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you in the Citadels.